0: The very first chapter of the Gospel of Luke anticipates the one who will guide our feet into the way of peace. At Jesus' birth, an angelic choir sings peace on earth. Throughout his ministry and across every Gospel, Jesus counsels words of peace. Go in peace and be healed. Be at peace with one another. And finally, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his grief-stricken friends, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. In just a few minutes, we will share the peace of Christ with one another. We assume, the vast majority of us anyway, that that ours is a religion of peace, of peacemaking, peace-loving, and peace-keeping, So what are we to make of the startling words we have just heard from Jesus? Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. It was likely a lot harder for his first century audience to hear than it is for us. We're entertained by TV shows like Succession, where a rich and powerful patriarch plays his adult children against one another, even as they jockey and conspire against him. Our own families have known division. Sometimes they come back together, but when they're not, we adjust, accept, and eventually find a new new normal. At the time that Jesus was speaking, however, one's personal identity and place in society was indistinguishable from the family name and respect it carried. The family, the family was the irreducible cell of society. More than anything else, it held society together over time. Loyalty to the family name granted honor to one's ancestors. Commitment to family meant providing opportunities for the living. Affirmation of family assured generations yet unborn a place and measure of security. If you lived in that world, in a very real sense, you were your family. Remember how familiar figures in Scripture are identified right from the get-go. James and John are introduced as the sons of Zebedee, Simon as the brother of Andrew, Mary as the mother of James and Joseph, and Martha as the sister of Mary and Lazarus. People in such a culture must have been shaken to the core when they heard Jesus say what we hear him say in today's gospel. If you were who you were because you were someone's brother or son or mother or daughter, and if, as Jesus is promising, households will be fractured and families will be divided, then who, quite literally, who in the world will you be? That may sound quaint to our ears. We grow up in a highly individualistic and hypermobile culture. We celebrate and revere autonomy and yet we are no less shaped by relationships. We are born among particular people and circumstances And as we grow up and mature, we develop our own loyalties. Our loyalties might be to a spouse, or to a friend, or cause, or to a profession, or passion, or to places, or things. Those primary affiliations, in turn, become the criteria for what we value and how we behave. They go a long way toward defining our expectations of life and consequently they go a long way toward determining the choices we make to meet those expectations, to live out this life. And so the essential question here is, what relationship is the one to which we commit our lives? How we answer that question ultimately defines our identity. And that question seems to be at the center of the challenge that Jesus is setting before us today. We might wonder, who or what is the determining relationship that gives each of us a sense of identity and belonging? What relationship matters so much to you that you shape and bend your life around it? Jesus has been utterly transparent in his answer. He chooses God above all else. Identified in his baptism as God's beloved Son, he leans into that identity and lives as if it is true. Everything he does is informed by that primary relationship. It becomes the source of his mission and ministry, his vision, his joy, his dreams. His courage and compassion. It is for Jesus the relationship around which all other relationships constellate. And it's in that relationship that Jesus finds true peace. This peace is so much more than the absence of war, the absence of conflict. It's so much more than a quiet mind. It is a muscular and energetic peace that is not afraid to speak truth to power, to break down barriers, to challenge and to divide artificial structures of power and authority in order to reveal an underlying unity It is the wondrous shalom of God, that great peace at the center of all that is, the web of interconnectedness that binds God and humans and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and joy. That, I believe, is what Jesus means when he says to his disciples and two millennia later to us, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. For that is our baptismal identity as well. We, we are beloved children of God, inhabited by the shalom of God. What if we also were to lean into that as if it were really true? What would it be like to experience the peace that costs, the peace that breaks, the peace that saves? It's not Jesus' desire or purpose to set fathers against sons or mothers against daughters. It's certainly not his will that we stir up conflict for conflict's sake or use his words to justify violence or war, But his words are a necessary reminder that the peace Jesus offers is not the false peace of denial, dishonesty, and harmful accommodations. His is a courageous, truth-telling, soul-searing sort of peace. It's a peace that begins with unsettling Jesus forced choices from just about everyone he came across. No one met him without feeling compelled to change. He consistently brought people to the point of crisis, tension, movement, or transformation. He consistently led people to decisions their families and communities didn't understand. Remember, even his own mother and siblings at one time considered him crazy that kind of deep, life-changing peace doesn't hesitate to break in order to mend and to cut in order to heal. Jesus will name realities we don't want named. He will upset hierarchies we rather keep intact. He will expose the lies we tell ourselves out of stubbornness or cowardice or laziness. And in those relationships that define our identities, he will disrupt whatever is keeping us from wholeness and holiness. This is not because Jesus wants us to suffer. It is because he knows that real peace is worth fighting for. Jesus is calling us into our true inheritance as children of God and as brothers and sisters of Christ. It is not this life for the faint of heart, but the heart of faith can do nothing less. We have only to lean into that to find the provoking, disturbing, surprising, and transformative power of the fierce and marvelous shalom of God at work in our lives and through our lives at work in the world. Amen.